on episode 618 of the 40 plus fitness podcast we meet alana vanderslice and discuss her book freedom with food and fitness you can find the full show notes for this episode at 40 plus fitness podcast.com forward slash 618 have you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness the 40 plus fitness podcast is here for you each week we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. i'm coach allen i'm an nasm certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise behavior change performance enhancement and fitness nutrition a precision nutrition level one coach a fai certified functional aging specialist and an ota level two online trainer each week, I'm joined by our co-host, Coach Rachel. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. Nobody starts working on health and fitness goals in November because it's so much better to wait five or six weeks. Does that sound silly? A little sarcastic maybe? But here we are in November and the question is out there. What are you waiting for? If you know you need to get going now, but you don't know what to do, or you can't get yourself moving and doing the things you should, it's time to be smart and it's time to be strong. What do smart people do when they're struggling? They come up with a plan. What do strong people do when they're struggling? They ask for help. You may have heard me say that motivation doesn't come from waiting. It comes from doing. So now it's time for you to do one thing. Email me, coach at 40plusfitness.com, and I'll help you build a customized plan just for you. Now, I'll definitely be filling up my calendar as we go into the new year. So don't miss this chance to create your action plan, a unique action plan for you email me coach at 40 plus I'm looking forward to seeing your email. Hey Raz, how are you doing up there? Good, Alan. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Good. <laughs> now, you know, I, okay. I live in Panama and it's beautiful. And yes, I live on a, I live on a Caribbean Island that doesn't get hurricanes. And yeah, that means I can wear shorts and uh, tank tops every single day of the year. This oh, is my nice. work uniform. This is my day <laughs> uniform. This is just kind of how I'm dressed most of the time. Um, that's great. But I'm not going to say this is just a total paradise. Everything's great every single day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're they're having a strike or a, a protest in the country. Mm -hmm. And the way they like to do uh, them here is they like to block off roads and make everybody else's life as miserable as possible. So that the government has to respond mm -hmm. because everybody else is is not living their full life. So uh, they've had the country shut down now for a couple of weeks, a few weeks, Wow! Uh, which means, you know, and I probably if you paid attention about a year and a half ago, I guess that we had the kind of the same thing where I was talking about not having eggs, not having bread. Well, we, we don't have eggs on the Island. We don't have fuel mm -hmm. on the Island. Um, you know, there's some pluses and minuses to cars not having gasoline. So there are fewer mm -hmm. cars on the road. But um, at the same time, it, it's, it means that we don't have the things that we would normally have. And when it's available, you know, typically it gets bumped up in price. So, you know, where a mm -hmm. gallon of gasoline would normally be about $4 a gallon here uh, in normal times, uh, it's anywhere from 8 to $13. Uh, oh <laughs> you know, people are reselling it. So you walk up there with a jug and they'll sell you some gasoline. Um, and so, you know, it right now we're in this mode where, you know, some of our supplies are starting to kind of dwindle down a little bit. We've still got food. We've still got water. We've still got the things mm. that we, we need to, to make it, but it's just, you know, at, at points, it just gets a little frustrating. Um, but you know, you can't go to the grocery store and buy a dozen eggs. Um, mm -hmm. I eat, I eat a lot of eggs. Uh, so oh, no. <laughs> that means I have to change. I have to change my behavior. I have to change my mm -hmm. eating, uh, which is kind of something we're going to get into today. But um, how are things up there? 
Good. Um, you know, over the weekend, I did something very different. I've never done this before. A friend asked me to pace during a half marathon. And the pace group that we were leading was the 1235 minute mile group. So we were pacing an entire half marathon at that pace at 12, 35 minutes. And um, I'm surprised I've, I've never paced. I've never run consistent like that for an entire half marathon, but we did. And we were just about a minute and a few seconds faster than we should have been, but we were pretty close. I, I feel like a minute's pretty darn good for pretty 13 good, yeah. miles. <laughs> so it was, yeah. uh, it was an interesting new experience. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Well, good, good. And and yeah. for anybody that gets into running, you know, if you join a run club or something like that, that's that's one of the benefits is sometimes they'll put together a structure like that yeah. to make you run. And even if you don't, finding a, a buddy or a friend that is mm -hmm. a better runner than you and saying, okay, this is what, you know, what we're going to run. Mm -hmm. um, I remember I was in Washington, D.C. years and years and years ago, and there was a guy that was working with us. He's a little freaking rabbit. But uh, <laughs> not kidding. Uh, but he goes out and says, well, you know, I'm going to run the 10K. You want to run it with mm -hmm. me? And I'm like, sure. Now, I basically outweighed this guy by a good 45, 50 pounds. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't huge. And I thought I was like 195. But um, he's a little bitty guy. And so he goes out there and says, well, what do you want to do? I says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'll run it. But I said, I'm, I'm probably going to do it at about um, eight minute miles. Mm -hmm. He says, OK, I'll, I'll do that with you. And I'm like. Okay, uh, but I know you run a lot faster. He's like, no, it's fine. Eight, eight minute miles, I can do that. I'm like, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So we go to line up, and if you line up for a race, realize that it, it, you get used to these. You know that the faster runners want to be at the front, mm -hmm. and the slower runners need to be at the back. So you get into the practice of knowing your pace and for the type of race, and knowing okay, I need to be two thirds back or all the way back, or you know. So this guy's just wanted to inch forward, inch forward, inch forward. I'm like, dude, no. I said, I'm not going to get in front of faster runners, mm -hmm. eight minute miles. So the guy keeps inching forward and I watch him. And then he finally, he just leaves. He gets up, he gets up right up in the very front, like right at the uh -huh. start. And like a rabbit, he's out the gate. Of course. <laughs> I finished my race. I think I was 801. I think my time, actual time splits were 801 on average. Fantastic. You know, I got, I got, I got passed by a blind guy, but I wasn't going <laughs> to mess up my splits, uh, <laughs> but you know, I get through and the guy's there. He, at this point, he's, he's pretty much already cooled off and he's ready to do another one. And, and so I go through and he says, how was your race? I said, yeah, I did 801. He's like, okay, good, good, good. And I said, so what were yours? He said, uh, about a 603. And of course. <laughs> for 10K. And I was like, dude, dude, why did you even say you were going to try to do an eight when you knew you couldn't physically allow yourself to run that, that slow? And so, mm -hmm. as, you know, again, I thought I was, you know, I thought we would go and we'd pace and we'd run together and, mm -hmm. and we weren't going to. So one of the advantages, again, of getting involved with a run club or having a run buddy that's running mm -hmm. the same pace as you is that then you can help each other stay accountable and involved and engaged oh, yeah. and, and keep and, your and pace you, so you don't overdo sure. it. But yeah, uh, yeah. And you could practice those faster paces when you're chasing somebody. I like to have a yeah. rabbit too. And <laughs> I wasn't going to chase a six, six Oh three rabbit. Um, maybe well, when I was in the army, you know, that, that for two miles, I, that, that would have been a, a fine rabbit to chase, but mm -hmm. a 10 K uh, I know <laughs> I mm -hmm. wasn't going to do it. Uh, mm, but anyway, awesome. Oh, good, good. So you enjoyed the pacing and it and, was, um, it was a good. neat experience. Yep. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, are you ready to talk about food and freedom? Sure. Our guest today is certified intuitive eating counselor, TEDx speaker, eating disorder survivor, and the founder of Freedom with Food and Fitness. She is dedicated to empowering women to heal their relationship with food and their bodies so they can step into their potential, take up space, and pursue true health, mind, body, and spirit. She currently hosts the Finally Free podcast and is a contributing writer for several national publications, including the National Eating Disorder Information Center and Thrive Market. With no further ado, here's Alana Vanderslice. Alana, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Um, you know, your book, uh, it has three of my favorite words in it, uh, freedom, food, and fitness. 
uh, the name of the book is Freedom with Food and Fitness. Uh, and so really kind of a good conversation to have uh, right now, because I think particularly now we just, we just finished Thanksgiving. And so this is the season of eating. This is the season of if you will, gluttony and, and, and also internal abuse, because we, we eat things and then we get mad at ourselves or feel guilty or feel shame. Uh, we have these feelings, uh, about food and fitness, um, that, you know, we just carry with us in a very, very uncomfortable way as we go through this whole season. Absolutely. And it's also, it's also the season of unsustainable weight loss. It's the season of crash diets and beating ourselves up. It's both. It is. It is because what we, we, we think, okay, well, I did something bad. I have to fix it. And we kind of get drawn into this whole world. And I'm, you know, I'm in the fitness and health space myself. So I see it every single day of, you know, just the gym, the mental gymnastics, if you will, <laughs> that I see people go through to try to figure out why it isn't working for them. Like someone will actually say, I saw this post today was, I'm, I'm, I'm not eating the food, you know, I'm, I'm basically staying within my numbers. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Um, but my weight is not going down, you know, it's the, what can I do? And then you, you know, you have the calories in calories out, you know, for lack of a better word, Nazis that come out and basically say, Oh, well, you're, you're obviously overeating or, Oh, you're obviously not moving enough. You should just do more movement and you should just eat less. And they're already like, they're telling you in the post, I am doing everything I possibly can and I'm failing. And all you're saying is just do it more. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a really hard message to just sit back and say, this is, this is happening every day, thousands of conversations over and over and over, and we don't seem to be learning the lesson. No, we don't. And that's because the diet and weight loss industry is a multi-billion dollar industry that has made a huge profit on our insecurities. It's just, <laughs> we feel like we're the ones who have failed and that we fail over and over again. But the thing is, we're not getting the correct information about how to actually feed our bodies and how to actually move our bodies for us to be at our peak. And and by peak, I don't mean that we're all ready to go do a fitness or a bikini competition. I mean, feeling good in our bodies and not having nutrition and fitness be something that feels so punishing and so difficult. It shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be hard at all. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm an intuitive eating coach. It's in the title. It's being yeah. intuitive, listening to your own body instead of all of these rules and the, these conflicting messages and every diet says to do something different. And and then we have misinformation like calories in, calories out. Yes, from a physiological standpoint, but that's also not the entire picture. That's not that's not everything. Yeah. So there was this, uh, I don't know if you know who, uh, 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 I guess his last name is uh, Gillette or maybe his first name, I don't know, but he was a comedian. They, he and his, his partner would do this magic show comedy show thing. And he had gotten kind of obese and, you know, he's working Vegas and he'd gotten kind of obese. And then he lost a hundred pounds and he lost a hundred pounds, just eating potatoes. Like he literally just ate potatoes and, and he lost a hundred pounds. And so now there's, you know, basically people are saying, well, if I just eat potatoes, um, I'll lose the weight like he did. And I'll keep it off. Um, he's a pretty smart guy. Uh, what he understood with eating potatoes was that, okay, yeah, this is somewhat of a fad. But for him, it was, if if I force myself to just eat potatoes, I know I'm going to get tired of potatoes and then I won't eat as much. Um, I don't, again, I don't prescribe to that, but it worked for him. Uh, and so there's this fad diet <laughs> that comes out. It says, hey, just eat potatoes and you could lose 100 pounds. And then he gets interviewed on all the shows and it's more publicity for people to say, okay, yeah, I'm going to look at this, this potato only diet. Um, why is it that these fad diets, they, they blow up, they get really, really huge because again, there's, there's a success story there. Um, why do they fail? Because they worked for him. Why aren't they working for me? You know, 
it could be a variety of reasons. I, number one, I, I find it hard to believe all he ate was potatoes because there's definitely a nutritional deficit if that's what he's doing. There's there's no healthy fat for his his brain function. There's no protein for muscle development. I don't I don't recommend this at all, and I, I know you don't as well. Uh, I think these bad diets get airtime because they're so outlandish and novel. And people also want the quick fix. They want the sensationalized results. They want, you know, a hundred pounds. Like no one wants to hear that someone lost, you know, 10 pounds over the course of eight weeks doing, doing things reasonably and sustainably. They want really quick, really flashy, really novel. And it's, it's just to your point before I say why it didn't work, it might not work for somebody else to your point about why it did work for him, there is an element of something that we talk about in intuitive eating called habituation. So it's when you have the same stimulus over and over and over again, eventually your response to that stimulus decreases. So the example would be, you know, he eats potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. Eventually he's sick of potatoes. He doesn't want potatoes anymore. So what we do in intuitive eating is if you have a fear food, let's say you're fearful of cheesecake, you're really, you know, it's high calorie and sugar and fat, and you think it's going to make you gain weight. So you always try to avoid it, but that ends up with you inevitably binging an entire cheesecake. Yeah. You want it so much. So we go through the, the process of habituation, and I tell clients, have a little bit of cheesecake every single day for a month. And you will notice the pull for the cheesecake on day one is a lot more intense than the pull for the cheesecake on day 30 because you've been having it over and over and over again. And people, you know, they're like, well, how can that be? I'll want cheesecake forever. I love cheesecake. It's my favorite. <laughs> so I tell them, think about, think, are you married, Alan? I am. Okay. So first time you said you loved your partner, there were probably butterflies and everyone was so excited and it was so novel and, and, and wonderful. And now that you've been together for however many years, it's like, they say you, they love you and you're like, yeah, I love you too. And you probably mean it still, right? As you know, I've I've been with my my husband for 10 years and I still mean it. I still love him, but it doesn't have that same butterfly-inducing, exciting feeling, at least not in the same intensity as it did no. the first time versus 10 years in. That's habituation. Why it's not gonna work for somebody else, you know, variety of reasons. I mean, people have people eat emotionally. People want to eat different things when they're emotional. Um, it's it's also your body's going to crave what it needs nutritionally. That's why intuitive eating is actually a healthful practice. Is your body's going to tell you, you you're going to crave steak when you need iron, things like that. So for you to force yourself to eat one kind of food with one nutritional profile, your body's going to crave other things. And once you allow yourself to go off the potato diet, you're going to binge those things because you've been restricting them for so long. Yeah. I, I call it the, the purple elephant. You know, and it's like, don't, don't think of a purple elephant. And it's like, what's in your head right now? It's like the thing you weren't supposed to think about. And we do that to exactly. ourselves every time we start thinking about, well, I I'm on this thing and this diet, and therefore I can't have these things. Um, you, that's all you think about. I remember when I, 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 I switched, I went into, uh, I tried paleo. Okay. And paleo works great for me. My body responds very well to the paleo style of eating, um, and there, but there are foods on that list that I would typically want and in volumes like bread and beer and stuff like that. I remember having a dream about bread when I went into that because my brain was just so wired on bread. That was a top of thought thing. And I was like, okay, I know I don't need bread. I know I don't really want bread, but what am I telling myself when I tell myself I can't have something, the rebel side of my brain is like, well, I'm going to make you think about this every single day of your life until, you know, you eat bread. Um, and so I think there's that aspect of this whole thing of when we, when we do that. So with a lot of my clients, I'll actually tell them, they'll be like, well, I want a pop, you know, or soda or whatever you call it, wherever you are. And, and I'll be like, well, you're a grown ass woman. <laughs> have a soft drink. I don't, you know, have you, it. you know, but at the same time, recognize that you're making a choice as an adult. You're not a kid. You're an adult. You have a, a, a smart part of your brain that can look at it and say, why am I doing this? What's my emotional state? 
Why do I feel like I need this versus, because we know we're not getting any nutritional value from that soft drink that our body actually needs. We may be craving it. So the question is back down and say, okay, is this an emotional thing? Is this a, you know, am I trying to get through a stressor? Am I using this in a different way than I would, you know, you know, use food. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but it's kind of that whole concept of, okay, is this really helping me? And I, and I think that's where a lot of these uh, fad diets kind of come in is like, okay, is this going to give me what I need? You know, is this diet Absolutely. really going to feed me and nourish me and make me feel whole or am I going to be miserable? until I'm done. Right. And, and that, I think that last sentence that you just said is something that I, I want listeners to take away is, do you want to be miserable the whole time? Because whatever diet you choose to be on or no diet at all, what, how, your food regimen, if you will, you have to be doing that for the rest of your life in order to maintain whatever results you're looking for. So if you're on keto congratulations, you have to be on keto probably for the rest of your life in order to maintain the results that you have right now. Because if you go back to old eating habits, you're going to gain the weight back. And, I think that's the key. You know, yeah, I do think that's a key. I, I do yeah. want to state that because I do think you can temporarily go on a sprint and you can temporarily do something, but it's the going all the way back to who you were and not recognizing that, wait, when I eat whole food, and I feed myself and I let myself get full and I'm mindful of what I'm eating. When I do these intuitive eating things, I'm suddenly satiated. I'm full. I'm comfortable. I like this. Don't go back to eating the way you ate before when you get back to, you know, you think you got to a goal or you feel better about it. There's no real reason to go back if you feel really good eating the way you're eating. And I think that's, that's the disconnect when we use the word diet, a diet, actually the word you know, you know, this basically means the way you eat. It's, it was never intended to be used as a specialized concept of temporary eating. And I think that's where a lot of people lose it, but we could, you could sit there and say, I know beer does not really help me if I'm a little bit overweight and, or feeling uncomfortable with myself or, you know, my energy levels are low. I know that's not going to serve me as a grown man, I can make the decision. I'm going to have a couple of beers with my buddies and I'm going to be okay with that. But at the same time, I also know if I go periods of time without drinking beer, I feel better. My energy's level better. I sleep better. My stress levels are better. Everything's better. And so I think that's the kind of the disconnect when we use that term diet and particularly the fad diets, because they tend to exclude a lot of things that we really need. Absolutely. And I would say if somebody is going on a certain diet and then going back to their original way of eating, they haven't, they, they put a bandaid on a bullet wound. They haven't addressed the mental and emotional issues that are causing them to have a broken relationship to food in the first place. And that's what I, that's what I deal a lot with my clients about is, you know, what are the thoughts that you're having that are creating these emotions that are causing you to binge in front of the pantry. You know, we have to address that, you know, emotional pain or lack of stress management or emotional management or trauma or whatever it might be. Because it, it's never just about the food, ever. It's always about some sort of underlying issue that you're not addressing and using the food as a mask or using exercise or lack thereof as a mask. So that's, you have to really get down to the nitty gritty and, and do the deeper work. No. Um, one of the things you got into here that I thought was, and, and this was, I think this is key. We're going to say the term intuitive eating. And immediately, I think people are going to be like, well, wait a minute. You know, I already overeat. I already binge. I already do these things. How can I trust myself? <laughs> you know, and diet culture tells us you can't. You have to eat a certain way. You have to do a certain thing because you can't be trusted with cheesecake. Right. It's all about relearning how to listen to your body's cues. So we're all born as intuitive eaters. When we were children, we ate when we were hungry. We stopped when we were full. I have a three-year-old son and I see him leaving, you know, half a cupcake on a plate. And any one of us who's, who's been through diet culture would be like, oh my God, I would have ate that thing in one bite. Like, it's like my cheat day to have a cupcake. Yeah. But for him, it's just like, eh, I don't really care because he knows he can have it whenever he wants. And that's 
that's really the the beauty, the magic, and the thing that uh, about intuitive eating that I don't think people fully understand until they've been going through the process is you actually crave those junk foods, quote unquote, less once you become an intuitive eater because it becomes more about you know, what can I add in to my diet that's going to make me feel good instead of what do I have to take away because I'm on this diet, but it's what can I add in? Can I add in more water? Can I add in more veggies and fiber and protein? And listen, I love pizza just as much as the next person. But one of the things I ask myself before I sit down to eat a meal is how am I going to feel after I eat this? And if I eat one slice of pizza, I'll probably be fine. I try. I would try to pair it with like a salad with grilled chicken or something to kind of round out that meal. But I know if I sit down and eat two, three slices of pizza, I am not going to feel good. I'm not going to feel good in my body. I'm going to feel bloated and sluggish. So it's asking that question, how am I going to feel? But the other thing that we need to do to start learning to listen to and trust our bodies is honing in on those body cues. Do you actually know the signs of hunger aside from a growling stomach, which is really late stage hunger? Can you pick up those nuanced cues? Do you actually know when you're full or do you, when you have a cheat day, just plow right through that fullness cue because you think it's your only day you can have that food? It's, it's when we, when we listen to, when we use external tools like calorie counters and um, the scale and what people say we can and cannot eat, we can't listen to what our bodies actually do need. And it's different for everybody. So learning to listen to those body cues, I think is super, super important, combined with this question of how do I want to feel in my body after I eat this thing? That takes a ton of self-awareness and it takes a lot of patience, you know, and it's, I'm a huge fan of journaling, not necessarily that you're going to sit down and write down everything you ate you can write down all the calories and all the macros and do the math. And now you're basically have this huge accounting system, like general motors, you know, you're spending hours trying to figure out all this stuff and stay within ranges and numbers and, and all that. And I just think that's, that's not the way human being was meant to eat. Um, I don't think we were walking through the forest saying, Ooh, blueberries. I think I'll walk past those because you know, too many carbs. I don't, I don't think that's, was even a, a, a thought, you know, it was like, Oh, blueberries, I'm going to eat all the blueberries. Cause I know they're not going to be here in three weeks, but we eat all the blueberries. And then now guess what? We're back to hunting and foraging, eating roots and other things that we would just eat. But I think you're onto something. You, you talked about something there that I think is, is really kind of a, a big part of this is we have to be aware of what our body's telling us. And too often we're not even listening. That's right. We're just, we're, we're listening to what other people are saying we should be doing. We're listening to the quote unquote experts. Yeah. And then sometimes it's, we're not listening to anything. Like, I, I don't know how many times I've had a conversation with a client and they would say, you know, I was, I had a nice meal. I felt good. And then, you know, my kids were done. And so I ate everything that was on their plates that they didn't eat. <laughs> like your three-year-old is like, they would throw down the cu half a cupcake because, well, it's there. Um, not even thinking how that feels, whether they were already full, what, you know, why were they doing it? And usually it's just, this is, this is easier. This is quick. I'll feel good. I'll enjoy it. Um, and they're just not having that conversation. So how, how does someone go about that? How do I go about saying, okay, look, I need to be in the moment. I need to be aware. I need to be mindful. It, it's really just a practice. It's really just learning to stop in the moment when you're about to do an action and just think to yourself, is this going to serve me? And if it's not, maybe choosing something different. But I, I think you're right in terms of we go through our day a lot, almost like zombies are almost on this autopilot where we do things where we don't even question why we're still doing them. So I think that's part of it. And I also think we're trying to always numb out, especially in today's society, there's so much on social media and so much that we're consuming that we use it because we don't want to feel our actual feelings. Like we're, we're, we're using TV and food and drinking and drugs and gambling and porn and all of these things to try to not feel our feelings. 
And I have a lot of clients that emotionally eat because they don't want to feel whatever it is. So part of my work with my clients is thought work, is cognitive behavioral therapy. Again, as I said before, it's what are the thoughts that are going on in your head and what emotions are those causing and what outcomes or actions are you taking as a result of those emotions? Like, are you grabbing that cup and eating it because you need the dopamine hit because something went bad at work today that you don't want to process in the form of journaling or with a therapist or whatever? Are you just stuffing it down with food? That's that's one of the one of the principles of intuitive eating is coping with emotions with kindness. And that's something that we don't do very often because we weren't socialized to. A lot of us were told when we were younger to, you know, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and don't cry and don't be a sissy. And the negative emotions mean that something has gone wrong. But there are ways to process emotions so that they complete the stress cycle and they do dissipate so that you don't need food to cope with those emotions. Yeah, there was, uh, I was at dinner last night with uh, some folks at a friend's house and uh, someone had made a pumpkin soup. And so the this woman brought it up and she said, are there, are there carrots in this? And the, the woman that she asked didn't hear. Her, so um, she just went on and started eating the soup. And then she came back later and said, yes, there's carrots in this. And someone says, well, do you have a problem with carrots? She's like, I don't like carrots. And, and they said, well, you know, you don't, you don't like carrots. She says, no, because I remember as a child sitting at the table for a long, long time with carrots in front of me. And my parents would not let me go to bed until I ate the carrots. And so this woman had a, uh, a relationship with carrots uh, that, you know, was, I was glad she was aware of it, but she had pretty much decided that she would never eat carrots willingly, although she did eat the soup. Cause I guess it was delicious. Um, so there was that, but there was a, there was a, there was a relationship there that, you know, she was, she was aware of, and I was glad that she was aware of it. I wasn't going to have the, I wasn't in the conversation. I was just the fly on the wall listening, but it was just that understanding that there's more to food than just the calories and the you know macros and everything else. We, we have memories, we have traumas, we have all these things that have gone on in our lives that tell us how to eat. They're not telling us what our body needs. Absolutely. It's, it's that, that story just reminded me of a client who she had anorexia for 20 years and she, in the, in the year that she worked with me, she actually finally was able to move over into the category of in recovery. She made so much progress with me and I'm so proud of her, but she had this story in her head that she was safer when she was thinner. Like she was her, she was in a safer body. Um, she felt safer. And I had to ask her one day, I said, have you ever thought about the validity of that story today for you? Because today for you, it your anorexia has nearly killed you. Is this really safe for you anymore? And she was like, wow, I never really thought of it that way. Like, I think sometimes we have these stories that we make up to make sense of what's happened in our lives. And we hold on to those stories and repeat those stories over and over again over the years. They begin to sound like facts and we don't even challenge them after a while. But you might be holding on to a story about yourself or about food from 20, 30 years ago that doesn't really apply anymore. And you really have to challenge those thoughts and, and ask yourself if you're willing to let go of some of the stories that you've been holding on to or you know, challenge them the way a lawyer would challenge somebody else in court that like hold up the facts of that story. Yeah. Now you, you brought up something in the book that I, I, you know, it's, it's a topic that I've known about and I've thought about um, because I don't want to push someone to think that they need to be perfect. You know, I'm, I'm a big mm. fan of just progress, just do something a little better. It doesn't have to be perfect. But it's orthorexia, and this is basically kind of the the other side of the coin of just not giving a damn uh, about your health and your fitness. This is like maybe caring a little too much. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, that's where I was. And orthorexia, as you said, it's an obsession with quote-unquote clean eating and having a real anxiety and fear around foods that are deemed unhealthy or junk foods. And when I was in my 20s, that was one of the things that I most certainly had. I was never diagnosed with it, uh, and it's not in the DSM-5 
for, you know, diagnosable eating disorders as of yet. Uh, I know they're working on that, but, you know, I think sometimes when we want to reach a goal weight, when we want to be as healthy as possible, especially since our culture has become so obsessed with wellness, it could become an obsession. And, uh, you know, for me, I've always been a perfectionist and in certain ways, a maladaptive perfectionist. And I, in my twenties was seeking perfection through being a certain goal weight. Um, and I wanted my body to look a certain way, but I think kind of going back to our conversation of calories in calories out, it's not that simple. I wanted six pack abs and that's very difficult with for someone with my genetics. It's just not how our bodies are shaped and we gain weight in our middles first in my family. And I could have the six pack. I would have to get my body fat very, very low. I would have to eat very regimented way. And for me to have a goal like that would mean to have a very real fear of anything that would not allow me to reach that goal. But it got to a point, obviously, when I developed an eating disorder where I had to say, is this goal really worth it? Is eating this clean all the time really worth it? Um, and the answer was no for me. And I actually just spoke with, I don't know if you know her, Marie Wald. She's the uh, the host of the Make Bank podcast. And she used to be a, a competitive bikini um, person. And she was saying that, you know, she had no social life when she was prepping she felt like horrible all of the time in her body and then when she was done prepping and and done competing and she would eat quote-unquote normally again in between shows she would gain all this weight and feel so bad about her body and it's just and I've heard similar stories like that before I, I read a book called oh gosh um Madeline Moon's book, The Confessions of a Fitness Model I think it was called same story she would compete in these bikini competitions and it was just this mental and physical struggle to reach peak perfection but was it perfection is the question and that's what i pose in the book as well is i think the chapter is called the dangers of the, the perfect body or you know the myth of the perfect body yeah and i think that 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 gets a little weird if you will or odd when we get over 40 and because a lot of us, but I think guys more maybe than women, we, we still think of ourselves like our 20 year old self, you know, it's like, I want to go out and do the things I did when I was in my twenties. I feel like I should be able to do those things. I think I should look like I did when I was in my twenties, when I had the six pack and I had the things going on. And what I've come to realize is that my, my, my body right now won't hold on to that much muscle mass. Um, and therefore, from a BMI perspective or whatever you want to call it, I'm, I'm never going to be 29 again. Uh, I can be very, very fit. I can be very, very strong. I can do everything that I want to do, but I'm not going to get down to the 31-inch waist again. It's probably just not going to happen. But that's me being real with myself and understanding my physical limitations and also just understanding my lifestyle of, well, I still want to be able to go out with my friends and do stuff. And if I'm going to have these detours, uh, if you will, I'm going to go do these things. There's no, to me, I don't want the guilt. I don't want the shame of saying, well, okay, I don't have the 31 inch waist. Um, I'll be happy with 34 and still going out and having fun with my friends. Right. It's, it's that balance of, you know, the, the perfect body, but what would you lose if you tried to gain that perfect body? Because it takes so much work and effort and mental and physical anguish that it's not worth it for me. And I think that's a question that's, you know, the answer to which is different for everybody, I suppose, but you can absolutely be healthy and not, you know, look or the same way that you did when you were in your twenties or in high school and society glorifies the young. But we're all going to get older. We're, our bodies are all going to change. Women are going to go through menopause and the whole host of you know body changes that come along with that. And it's it's something to be appreciated and respected and embraced at the same time that you can still be you know eating mostly nutrient dense foods and moving your body most days and drinking your water and sleeping and managing your stress. You can be healthy without looking like the twenty something model. And that's something that I addressed in my TEDx talk is this fallacy and this very one dimensional view of what health is supposed to look like. Yeah. 
And and I I've gone through that with my clients too. It's like you, you're not you know you don't have to look like a CrossFit athlete to be fit. Um, you know if if your level of fitness is just I want to be an awesome grandfather, and when we go to the zoo, I want to be able to keep up with the grandkids. And if they want to go get in the park and roll around on the ground, I want to be able to do that too. Um, and so it's it's that kind of mentality of okay, what what do I need to be able to do? And I still see that. Like there was a post on Facebook today. Again, a lot going on on Facebook today, I guess. But uh, <laughs> uh, the guy was posting, what can you do? It's like, this is a 40 plus fitness level thing as most of us, were, all of us are in our 40s or older. It's like, what can you do? And so you've got people, well, I can run, you know, I can run a six minute mile. I'm 52 years old. And another guy's like, well, I can, you know, do this. And I'm like, well, I can do everything I want to do, <laughs> you know? And, and he didn't like that answer. Uh, because I wasn't bragging about what I could do. I was just saying, if I want to be able to do it, I train around the things I, I train my strength, my mobility, my stamina, my balance to be able to be the person I want to be. And beyond that, if I have a little bit more strength than I need, well, great. If I have a little bit more stamina than I need, great. But I know I can go anywhere I want to go. I can do anything I want to do. Um, can I do what I did when I was, you know, in the military in my twenties? No, probably not, but I can still do a lot that I enjoy doing and I can do everything that I need to do. And so to me, that's, that's enough. And I think it's that line of saying, what's, what's enough physically, uh, right. health wise, all of it. Yeah. What's enough, uh, as, for women, especially it's challenging, not only what is health? Because I, I go, I ask my clients a series of questions toward the beginning of my program. Is healthy being physically afraid of a brownie or is healthy not having a piece of your son or daughter's birthday cake because you're too afraid of it? Is it really healthy to spend every single day at the gym without giving yourself a rest day? So not only questioning what health actually is, you know, authentic health versus diet culture version of health, but also what is your definition of beauty? What is your definition of worth? Because we tend to conflate all of those things together. Thinness equals health equals worthiness equals beauty. And that is what society has served us up. And that's what we've been socialized to believe. But as autonomous human beings, like you said to your client, like you're a big girl, you can have the, the beer or the bread or whatever you want. We are allowed to subscribe to this version of health and beauty and worthiness if we want to, or we can choose to opt out. And if you opt out, yes, of course, you have to contend with the fact you still live in a thin, obsessed society, but you get to write those rules. You get to write those rules in a way that allows you to do all the things you want to do, as you said, and also still feel good in your body. Yeah. And you're not uh, subjecting your children or grandchildren to this level of anxiety about a piece of cake or brownie, <laughs> you know, they're seeing you live yeah. a happy, healthy life. And that's, that's the, that's what we want. We're going to, we're not going to break the diet culture uh, paradigm. We could do it for ourselves, but we can also do it for people around us by being the example of the person who's not, you know, anxious about, oh, well, they've got this. I can't eat that. I won't eat that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely something, you know, as a mom to all of your female uh, clients over 40, it's, we can say one thing to our children, but they always pay attention to how we act. And yeah. I have a lot of clients, I ask them about their family history. And I say, well, did your parents ever put you on a diet when you were younger? And I would say a good half of them say, no, they didn't put me on a diet, but they were so hard. Like my mom was so harsh on herself or, you know, my mom always used to go to Weight Watchers meetings where she would eat something for dinner that was different than the rest of the family or she would always pinch you know the fat on her arms or whatever and when we see those things you know we oh it's it's it's, it's generational eating disorders yeah. are generational um when we see those things you know when we're when we're children it's well i want to be like mommy and mommy doesn't seem to like her body unless it looks this way so and that's what makes her feel like a good girl so that must mean that that would make me a good girl if i was thin too and that's how it starts. Yeah. Now, this transition, if you will, to where you're just, you're starting to trust yourself. You're starting to do these things. Um, it's not just something you pick up and you say, okay, well, I've, I've, Alana was right. I'm on the podcast. I'm going to start intuitive eating. Um, 
it's not an easy thing. This is this is an intense internal piece of work. Uh, in the book, you included about I think fifteen tips that will make the transition uh, a little bit more. E- a little easier and a little bit more sustainable. Can you share a couple of your favorite? I have a favorite that I'll talk about in a minute, but what are some of your favorite um, tips that you have in the book for this transition? Uh, you know, I think my, well, I mean, I'm all about practicality. I mean, you read the book, yeah. so you know, these tips are just like really things that you can implement the day that you read them. I, I'm, not, I'm not here to like wax poetic to anybody because it sounds great, but then you're like, how do I actually implement this? So my favorite first step is always to just get rid of the scale and delete your calorie counting app like my fitness pal because if you're using external tools to determine how much or little you should be eating you cannot actually honor any hunger and fullness cues that you're getting in your body so that is like step number one and i will say again as somebody who would weigh herself every single day you know before anything else before even a sip of water I was so scared to not step on a scale one day and not know how much or little I could eat that day because that's how I would determine it. Uh, So, but it's always scarier before you do it. The day I actually decided to not step on the scale, it was actually a relief. It was a breath of fresh air and anxiety is fear of the future. So once it was already happening, it wasn't that scary anymore. It just, it just was. So I would definitely say that. The other tip I really enjoy, and I think it's it's actually a couple of different strategies in the book that fall under this umbrella, but this idea, idea of meal planning, you know, not in the rigid way that diet culture tells us, like, whatever you meal prep, you have to have because it's in your macros or whatever. It's just taking an hour or two every Sunday or whatever day you have off and prepping a couple of options for breakfast. And, and lunch or something you don't even have to do dinner or and do a couple of snacks but just having some pre-prepped nutritiously dense food readily available at the go because i think we get in the habit of eating on the go going to the drive-through waiting till we're starving that we don't have time to make the food so we just gobble up whatever pre-packaged garbage is available to us instead of saying oh like i cut up this you know, I, I made these yogurt parfaits for snacks like they're right here i can just grab one if i'm really hungry uh you know so meal prepping as a flexible gentle way to ensure that you have nutrient-dense balanced meals available to you i think is super super key and i i have a ton of tricks (laughs) in the book about how to meal prep so that it doesn't take six hours like it should take an hour to max and i have some some strategies for that and and my favorite was your your tip number six, uh, transition tip number six, which was freeze leftovers or fresh foods for later. And I, the way you put it together, you, there's two things that, that you went through. One was, okay, so someone gives you um, this big, huge brownie and, and you know, okay, I, I like the brownies. Uh, I think you talked about it having brownie and fudge and chocolate chip and a whole lot of other stuff in there. And you love it. You want it. But you know, okay, it's not in my best interest to eat all of it at one sitting, which I'd probably do if I just left it on the counter and I keep looking at it every time I walk by it. But you just, you cut it up into bites or pieces or whatever, and then you freeze the rest of it. And so it's like any night you want, you can go in there and say, I'd like a little bit of that. And you have a little bit of it. You feel the satiation of, oh, that was really good, but you're not eating the whole thing. And similar to what we talked about earlier, like with the potato thing, it's like you're, because it's there, you now don't have this scarcity mindset. It's like, oh, I always have something sweet, something savory, something I like it's, and it's put aside for when I need it, for when I want it. And so I don't have to feel like I have to eat it all because I know it's not going anywhere. It's my freezer, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's going to be there. Um, so it's there. And so I think that ties in that the other side of it was, I was thinking, you know, I used to go out and I'd, I'd, I'd bring food home from the, from the restaurant. And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll eat that for lunch the next morning. And then I'd find myself at lunchtime. And I'm like, well, I, I just had that last night and I'm not, you know, that's just not fulfilling right now. I just not what I want, you know, and I, it, I guess I could force myself to eat it. It's still good food, but it's like, yeah, if I just took it home, package it up, put it in the freezer then I give myself the option to say yes or no to that particular thing. 
and I don't feel like I'm tied to it. You know, like the clean your plate mindset uh, that we were passed on when we were kids is like, if I want it, I'll have it, but I'll have it when I want it versus the other way around. Exactly. And you put that so well. And I love I loved the freezer hack too, because as, as, as you kind of hinted at, it takes away that last supper mentality. Like, oh, I have to have it all now. Cause for me, I don't waste food. Like I have like a, like a problem with wasting food. And for me, it would be partially, you know, oh, I have to eat them all now. Cause they're going to go stale and that's going to be a waste. But yeah. if you put it in the freezer, it doesn't happen. They don't get stale. So it's just, it's this way to take the pressure off and to not have that like last supper mentality. Yeah. And so like tonight, my my wife's going out uh, with friends. They're going to have a, a slumber party. So I don't know if a 55-year-old woman can actually go on a slumber party, but that's what they're doing. <laughs> and so what what every time she leaves town, it's like, well, this is the time for me to cook what I want without worrying about what she wants. So it's almost always liver and onions. For me, because that's one of my, I love liver and onions. No one else on the earth. Well, there's a couple of us, but most people don't. My wife doesn't. She says she loves smelling it, but she does. She's no way she's going to eat it. So I'll cook it. And then what I found is like, sometimes I'll put it in the fridge and then the next day I don't really want it. And I hate, again, like you, I don't want to waste it and I don't want it to go bad, but I have to admit some, sometimes I just can't make myself eat it. But the idea of tonight, I, I cook it, I have it. And then the rest of it, I put it in the freezer and then that's there for me whenever I kind of want my fix. Um, it's there. So it's just, I, I like that tip and I'm, I'm definitely going to follow it. I love that. Thank you. Alana, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Always approach nutrition from a place of abundance. So what can you add in to your diet that's going to leave you feeling good? It, you know, is it prioritizing more protein? Is it throwing in healthy fats, fiber, um, water? Uh, I say journal. Journaling, I'm with you. I, I think when we get down about our bodies, sometimes having a gratitude journal about what we are grateful for and happy about in our lives can help pull the focus away from our bodies as this like aesthetic thing that we have to, you know, make perfect. So coming from a place of abundance, journaling, and I would say emotional management, emotional management and thought management, learning how to really listen to the voices that you hear in your head, learning how to challenge the validity of them and purposefully choosing whether you want to release them or keep them if there's something that's serving you. Great. Thank you. If someone wanted to learn more about you and your book, Freedom with Food and Fitness, where would you like for me to send them? Uh, they can go to my website, freedomwithfoodandfitness.com. They can visit me on Instagram at Freedom with Food and Fitness. And the book came out just about two weeks ago now. So it's available on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your books. Thank you. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 618, and I'll be sure to have the links there. Alana, thank you for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you, Alan. This was awesome. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan. I, I love the concept of intuitive eating. I feel like I'm a pretty good intuitive eater myself now, but certainly that is not something that comes easy. I mean, we have so many rules in our life about when we should be eating and we're restricted. You know, if you have kids, like when I had kids, I kind of got stuck eating what they were eating. So I didn't really have the autonomy to choose because I certainly wasn't going to prepare multiple different meals. But, you know, it's it's not easy to be that intuitive. Yeah, it's not. When you do it, then basically what you do is you turn on this all these automatic switches. Oh, and yeah. our bodies, our minds, everything around us was wired for that. We mm -hmm. were wired to have regular, consistent, almost everything. And mm -hmm. then we could focus intently on what was different because mm -hmm. typically what was different was dangerous. <laughs> you know, so we wander out, we wander out into a field and we're used to seeing this field look a certain way and act a certain way. And suddenly we get out there and things are not that way. You know, we realize something's in the field that we weren't 
that wasn't there yesterday and it's changed mm -hmm. things. So certain animals are no longer there. Uh, it looks different. It feels different. Our bodies are wired to, to feel that, to sense that, to not like that. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at food, we kind of get into ruts. We kind of get into things. Oh, we yeah. like that comfort. We like that thing. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of structure without the intention behind it. Yeah, exactly. And so what, what we're saying here is I think, again, I think it's great when you can get to the intuitive part, because then mm -hmm. you're just walking around the, the, you know, the forest and into the field and doing the things that you do on a daily basis. And it feels good and it feels normal. Um, mm -hmm. but to get there, we've got to do some, some mental training. We've got to get ourselves to a point where we're eating the right way and we're feeling it. And we're taking the time and we're doing these things. And that typically, in my opinion, takes some rules. So you mm -hmm. can't just jump into and say, well, I'm going to do this intuitive eating thing. Uh, mm -hmm. at some level, you got to say, well, what does that mean for me? Mm -hmm. What, what am I going to eat? That's going to make me feel good. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be consistent? Does that fit my lifestyle? And so many pe times people will say, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm only mm -hmm. going to eat this food. I'm only going to eat it this often. And that's where this whole concept, which kind of got into the whole keto thing is like, once you start keto, you always have to do keto. Well, that's not entirely true. Mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of people it is though. I mean, for a lot of people, they go on to keto, they lose weight, they go off of keto, they go right back to the way they ate before they went into keto. Mm -hmm. And now they're not. Now I happen to do it in a very unusual way because I talked to a nutritionist that was very heavy into, uh, food, mm -hmm. <laughs> actual food, not, not all the bars and all this. So it was a paleo style that I started eating. Now the foods I gravitated to meats and vegetables, well, they put me into ketosis because I mm -hmm. just, you know. I don't know how, I don't know how much spinach you have to eat to get out of ketosis, <laughs> but I don't want to know because I've no. eaten a lot of spinach and not gotten out of ketosis. Uh -huh. And so I would, I would, I can't even imagine how much I would have to eat of a leafy green before I would go out of ketosis. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, it was, I just happened to be eating a lot of leafy greens and a lot of, uh, protein. Um, usually in the form of beef, chicken, or pork and mm -hmm. eggs. And I went into ketosis and it was great mm -hmm. for me. It worked very well for me. Now it does not work for me all the time. Mm -hmm. And there were times it did not work. And then I got out of it. And so mm -hmm. what I would say is intuitive eating is understanding with the environment that you have, what's the best that you can do with what you've got. Then when you get into it, you realize that you don't need the three or four servings that they bring you when you're sitting down at dinner. Right. And the, and the concept, the rule you had, the rule you had was eat everything on your plate. Oh yeah. That's and, how I grew up. Okay. We did. But when you walk into a restaurant and they're basically handing you four meals. Right. <laughs> okay. No, yeah, uh, that, rule is, that rule is no longer valid. So mm -hmm. find rules that serve you, get rid of rules that don't, and mm -hmm. then try to make the rules just become a natural way that you approach things. That's mm -hmm. intuitive. It's intuitive right. when I walk in, I look at a plate and I say, oh my God, that's four servings of pasta. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's three servings of protein and it's four servings of pasta. And I can look at it, the plate and know that's what I'm looking at. I mean, mm -hmm. it took two waiters to carry it to my table. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, you, you just look at it. No, this is a lot more food than I need. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. I eat it slow. I focus on the protein and the vegetables. I have a little bit of the pasta because it's mm -hmm. good. Um, and then when I'm full, I stop. Well, that's right there. That's right. There is one of those cues that that's important to pay attention to is that feeling of being hungry versus the feeling of being full. And not being afraid of either. Oh, right. Yeah, you know, for the, sure. Some people are terrified when they're hungry. It's like, oh my God, I'm out of food. I'm going to die. I'm like, no, you mm -hmm. live in a world of abundance. And yeah. when you recognize that you live in a world of abundance, you can eat just about any time you want to. Well, that's an interesting point too, Alan, because back many years ago when I worked into a, in an office, I had to hurry up and get the kids fed, get something in my mouth before I 
took my daily commute to get to the office. And then when I got to the office, like everybody else, I had a pretty flexible time frame when I could have lunch, but basically you have lunch around 11 or 12 or thereabouts. And then when you get home, you got to get the kids fed. So you're eating around dinner time or your time for dinner is what, five or six o'clock or something like that. And so you get into this rut of you're eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but you're not thinking about whether you're hungry enough to eat that. Well, now at this stage of my life, I can wake up in the morning and decide, well, I'm not really hungry today. So I'm going to put off breakfast until I am hungry. I'll do some chores or do my run and come back and eat when I'm hungry. And, but it's, you know, we're stuck in these ruts of these times of the day when we are just conditioned to be eating a meal and then, um, in not really feeling hungry at any particular time. And then we're, because you're eating the meal because it's dinner and it's in front of you and it's on your plate, you're finishing it, whether you're feeling full or not. It's, you know, it's those, those moments of being intuitive and being mindful and, and feeling the feelings about what you're eating is, is important, but it's not easy to get to that point. No, it's not. Which is again, why I think certain rules can be valuable. You yes. can plate your, you can plate your dinner in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So you're not, dipping the spoon in to grab another serving of mashed potatoes Mm -hmm. and gravy. And so you just sit there and say, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. you say, okay, I'm going to plate my food. Uh, This is the size of a plate that typically satiates me. I'm going to put, you know, two thirds of my plate is going to be protein. And I mean, one third of my plate is going to be protein and two thirds will be uh, vegetables. Mm -hmm. Okay. And maybe you want to have a starch. Maybe you don't. Um, maybe you say, okay, I'm going to have a glass of wine with this. So there's certain rules that you're going to have. Um, and those rules, those rules can be very helpful, um, Mm -hmm. to keep you on track. Uh, but then there's just the point where you walk in and you're like, okay, I know my plate. I know my plate size. I know I'm usually feeling, I feel pretty good when I eat that Mm -hmm. amount of food. I feel Mm -hmm. gross when I eat two (laughs) or three of them experienced on Thanksgiving, which Mm -hmm. is coming up. But it's, it's just that whole thing of realizing, that, or I mean, I guess it's just over uh, mm-hmm. looking at the date yeah. this is going live. We just, Thanksgiving's over. And you're probably just mm-hmm. now feeling good uh, after, <laughs> yes. after five yes. days of, of Thanksgiving uh, mm-hmm. and all the leftovers. But, you know, we, we, we do that and then we don't take that information and say, okay, well, I don't want to feel that gross again. I'd like to find that point of what does a plate mm-hmm. look like and what does it feel like? You know, I, I went through precision nutrition and that's basically how they teach portion sizes is when you can understand mm-hmm. the size of a portion, they usually do it relative to your a body part. So your fist mm-hmm. or your hand or something like that. And so it's just that recognizing how much food typically makes you feel satiated. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's and another mindfulness down technique. And enjoying it and feeling, yeah, mm-hmm. slowing down and feeling it. And, and, and enjoying the food um, is another is another part of this. But to start out with, you just make a rule. Okay, here's mm-hmm. my plate. Yes, their plate's a 10-inch plate. My plate's an 8-inch plate. Well, that's a good point. One, thir- yeah. one third of my plate is going to be protein and two-thirds mm-hmm. is going to be vegetables. They mm-hmm. may have a starch or something like that. And I may have a little, a little bit of it, just, you know, mm-hmm. like almost like it's a condiment, just a little spoonful on the side there that I'll enjoy. Uh, if I really love it, um, maybe that's the last thing I eat, you know, so I'll eat the rest mm-hmm. of it. And then that's the last thing. So, you know, I get it. Or I go ahead and just get out of the way, eat that little bit, and then go on with my plate, whatever the rule is, however it works for you. But after that, once you get that into your system, um, it's not like you have to see the rule printed in front of you every day. And you have to say, okay, <laughs> well, this is the rule. Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, again, things are going to come up and those rules might be invalidated for periods of time. Sure. And then where are you? And so you, you want to be intuitive so that you can pivot and, and manage yourself when those things aren't available. Those rules are difficult to follow or impossible to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then I tell my clients, it's like, okay, you're, you're going on this business trip. Look up a couple restaurants in the area. Look at what your schedule is going to be and, and look at what makes sense. So, you know, one of my clients like, well, there's a whole foods. So in the morning I get up and I walk to the whole foods and mm-hmm. I get something for breakfast. I didn't have um, a refrigerator in my room, which meant that I couldn't like go do a shopping for the day and know that that food was going to be okay that evening. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to walk over there in the evening based on the time I got off. So I'm eating a lot of crap that I wouldn't have eaten. Mm. 
because I got stuck, mm -hmm. you know? And so is the whole point of, well, okay, can we manage around that? How do we manage around that? And maybe there is some situations where, okay, I'm just going to have to eat a little bit of crap for a few days. Um, but I'm going to eat happens. a big ass breakfast because I got control of that. <laughs> and then I'll mm -hmm. eat less of that in the evening because I know I don't need it. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's just, yeah, rules, rules and intuitive. I think when they're put together and managed properly are the way you're going to get through this and mm -hmm. find your way because there right. isn't a way there's yes. your way. And that, yeah. that's one of the things about this freedom part is that you're not trying to be somebody else. You're not trying to live someone else's life. You're not trying to follow someone else's example. You're finding mm -hmm. a way of eating that fits you, serves mm -hmm. you. You're eating the mm -hmm. foods that fit you and serve you. And you're doing it in a way that just feels more natural to you. And that like I said, typically is going to have to start with some rules until you figure all that out. And then it can become much more automatic. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect, Alan. I, I just want to highlight too that, like you said, we were all so different. You and I both found keto is our kind of preferred way of eating, but we don't eat it that way 100% of the time either. But someone else might enjoy the whole vegan vegetarian aspect. And, and it, I hate when people feel attacked when they choose a way of eating and somebody's making fun of them for choosing that, you know, you just need to find what works for you and, and be ha happy that you found your favorite way of eating. You, some certain foods agree with us, certain foods don't. And, and I think that people just should experiment and find what really works for them. I agree. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next week. Great. Take care, Ellen. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Michael Greger and discuss his book, How Not to Age, the scientific approach to getting healthier as you get older. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.